A Polar Voices perspective with the Ecosystem Dynamics Research Lab Spring Shoveling Team. Yeah, so one thing that is really nice about this project is that we do have some continual support. So like we have this cabin year round. So we can leave all, all our dishes, like everything stays. It's just the sensitive, the cold sensitive stuff that gets moved. It's kind of like a revolving door of people coming in and out of the cabin. So there's like the early season field crew that shows up for the big shoveling effort. And um, a lot of those people don't stick around. And then they're in the summer, <clears throat> our advisor Ted comes up to Fairbanks and is stationed there and will come down to the field site periodically. And then different lab members will come for certain things throughout the growing season. Like Roswell, a postdoc who is in charge of the Eddy Tower, will come for a couple weeks in the summer to check on that and make sure everything's up and running properly. And then if we have another big labor-intensive effort, like there's this uh, way to measure plant biomass later in the summer called point framing and that can be a big effort so then we'll get lots more crew members and sort of throughout the whole year the two really um solid stationary people who are always here are the postdoc who's managing the site which would be marguerite and then the field tech uh which elizabeth myself and justin all have been now and but then on top of that there's always people in and out so there's lots of coordination on going up to Fairbanks to pick people up going to Fairbanks to get supplies and Jamie is really helpful on our Fairbanks end because he helps make a lot of stuff happen for us so we couldn't do it without Jamie and the LTER people. Marguerite and I drove from Gaines we rented a car and we drove from Gainesville to Jacksonville Florida and then I flew from Jacksonville to New York, and she flew from Jacksonville to Dallas. Dallas. And then we both flew from those cities to Seattle, and then Seattle to Fairbanks. And then we took a taxi to our hotel, and then Justin <laughs> picked us up the next morning. Yeah, so then we have all of these field vehicles that are parked at our advisor's cabin. We just shoveled out Susan, our new vehicle, Sapphire. and, <laughs> and um, put put the battery in. And I think because the battery was brand new, she started on the first try, which is like the first time that's ever happened. But Justin, they, I guess you didn't have to shovel out the Jeep, but he nope. picked up the Jeep the night before. Same thing, put the battery in, but it didn't start. He had to get it jumped, that type of thing. Then we drove um, Susan... <laughs> To, <laughs> to, to Fred Meyer, to for, Fred supplies. Meyer <laughs> for supplies, and we spent a lot of money. $814.06. On enough food for, we figured, 114 meals over two weeks, and then loaded it into the back of Susan with all of our other equipment that we had left in the lab because it can't freeze, so it has to be in warm storage in the lab. And then um, we drove down here. And you cannot access the cabin in the winter from the road, so we parked at the end of another road and then hiked in, it's like, I don't know, a quarter of a mile, not that long, with all of our equipment and sleds. The first year that I did it, and Jamie actually has more experience than I do shoveling, but um, the first year I did it, it was so hot. It was in the 50s, and the sun, there were like no clouds in the sky, 
Sue. Everybody got sunburned. Sunburned. Sue got sunburned. Sun yeah. It was like, it was not fun. And then there was so much snow, but it got so mushy. And every time you stepped, you post hold. So that was kind of miserable. And then last year, it was really cold. And also, there was a blizzard. So we were shoveling, and then the snow was falling and coming right back in. And that was also miserable. And so this year, I was hoping it was going to be just right. And at least today, I was telling Justin, it's very nice. Because it's, I don't know, it's like 20 out. And so you can keep yourself warm by working without having all your clothes on. But at the same time, you're not sweating. Um, and the sun, at least today, it was a nice, I mean, it would be nice to see the sun, but it's nice that it wasn't too sunny because mm-hmm. it can just reflect off the snow. You know, so we shovel out near the end of the winter and when it should be sort of snow should be winding down and should be um, <laughs> right before things should start melting out, which was not <laughs> the case last year. We shoveled at the beginning of April and there was snow until June 1st. As winter's winding down, we shovel out the plots you know, so as Elizabeth mentioned before, there's no artificial moisture inputs and there's not um, a delayed start to the growing season for the plots with the lot, lots of snow on them. And then once the snow melts further, uh, we'll set up our auto chamber system, um, which is a way to measure carbon fluxes at each of our replicate experimental blocks. We have these eight auto chambers that run on a cycle and open and close and so they can measure the carbon fluxes which is essentially looking at how much carbon is either being respired by the soil community or taken up by plants and actually we're we're kind of measuring the balance of that so we get those auto chambers up and running and then those can run for the entire growing season Um, and they require some maintenance and a little bit of babysitting here and there, um, but for the most part, they're self-sufficient, so it's a really great way to collect a lot of data. And then while those auto chambers are running every day, 24 hours a day, we can take other measurements. For example, in the spring, how when plants leaf out and looking at our, our experimentally warmed plots, are those plants able to leaf out earlier than the control plots? And then do those plants produce more flowers or berries and um, do those plants, are they able to grow later into the into the fall when it's starting to turn to winter again? And then taking other measurements like looking at the active layer depth, looking at plant biomass and all sorts of different measurements that go on. So those pretty much go on continuously until the fall and then we try to wait as long as possible until it's going to get really snowy again before we take everything down again and then prepare for winter measurements, which maybe Elizabeth can talk about. The goal of my project was really to come up with some sort of way that people could model what was happening so they didn't have to be out there uh, themselves. But anyway, in the winter, we have four different ways that we're measuring this microbial respiration. And um, so we have this tower that basically measures the flux of CO2 from the tundra to the atmosphere, and it does that year-round. So we have the tower, and then we had two chamber measurements that we did. So we took out the Lycor and we put the um, put the put it right on top of the chambers and measured it that way. And then we also have Sodalime, 
which is a chemical that absorbs CO2 over the course of the winter. So, yeah, so those are the, the types of measurements that I was using, but I don't think, I, except for soda lime, I don't think we're going to have any more. Well, we're super lucky because we don't have that many bugs at our field site. I guess this year, was, I wasn't here this year, but I guess this past summer was pretty bad. But in general, their bugs aren't bad. In Alaska, usually they're horrible, so we get lucky that way. Um, things are a little bit colder here in the summer than they are anywhere else. Like 50s and 60s is pretty much par for the course. I guess, again, last summer was a little bit warmer, but um, at, at least in Florida, like that's a cold winter day. Uh, <laughs> so, and the since we're in the mountains, the weather can change really fast too. So you have to make sure that you're prepared with your rain gear, but also your sun hat and your sunglasses and all of that all in the same day. One year we got hail, which was really fun, but not very often. I mean, in the winter, there it's a whole other thing because you're worried about your limbs freezing off and trying to figure out ways to keep them warm and that's a little bit more of a safety issue because if you go out in really low visibility then how are you you know you have to make sure that you'll be able to see your way back to the snow machine and you'll see you'll be able to see your way back so we don't go out in low very low visibility but you can get stuck out there by accident yeah you can get turned around really easily we always took a gps with us that had the cabin marked on it just in case mm -hmm. we needed to walk back that never happened but one thing that's kind of unique about our site is that we do all of our research uh, off of boardwalks. We And that's a kind of a, well, it's a bog or wetland, but also a tundra unique setup that you build these wooden boardwalks that go all through your site so that you don't destroy the site when you walk over it because it's marshy. If you were to walk, you would leave deep footprints everywhere. And after a while, there would just be these channels where you walk, so we build these little boardwalks that we can walk above the vegetation and never step on any of the plants. This has been a Polar Voices Perspective with the Ecosystem Dynamics Research Lab Spring Shoveling Team, formerly out of the University of Florida and now based at Northern Arizona University. You heard from former graduate student Elizabeth Webb, postdoctoral research associate Marguerite Moritz, former field tech John Kropek, and Bonanza Creek Long-Term Ecological Research Station Manager Jamie Hollingsworth. Field Technician Justin Ledman and LTER's Lorian Nettleton were also on the team. You can find full episodes of Polar Voices and other featured perspectives at polarhub.org. Polar Voices is produced by the UI Museum of the North in collaboration with the Arctic Institute of North America as part of the Polar Learning and Responding Climate Change Education Partnership.